0: today. I'm Walt Thiessen. And with me today is abundance teacher and money coach Jody Lynn Craven. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. As we were ready, waiting for the uh, the theme music to complete, I was looking over my cat who was absolutely racing around the apartment just Like he's full of energy. I guess because he can't get outside all that much, but I mean, he's just—he's having a ball. He's having a blast. So he's setting the tone for the show today.
1: (laughs) Perfect.
0: He's still getting over the holidays, you know, because you know the holidays are—they—they build up a whole lot of energy, and then you have to dissipate it some way. So he's dissipating the energy. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. How are your
0: holidays, Jody Lynn?
1: Good. Lots of family, lots of wagon rides, and, you know, lots of laughter.
0: Yeah, that's right. You guys were doing the wagon rides this year. You, you did that for a couple of weeks, didn't you? How'd that go? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we had 12 shows. It was good. Wow. I love it. Yeah, it was good. The weather held out. We were, you know, in the positive um, temperatures uh, almost and every Something. Year. For Alberta, Canada, yeah. that's really something, yeah. yeah. That is definitely odd, that's for sure. But I was yeah. grateful. Yeah, it was lots of fun. The kids love it. Excellent,
0: excellent, yeah. Well, whenever you can bring smiles to people's faces, particularly young faces during the holidays, that that's kind of what brings the whole holiday meaning to the fore, no doubt about it.
1: Absolutely.
0: We have a guest joining us today. Her name is Rebecca Doring. She's a coach to to professionals. She coaches wellness professionals. And that seemed particularly appropriate, Jody Lynn, because we've been having various wellness medical, alternative medical professionals on the program recently, uh, talking mm-hmm. about a wide range of issues. Um, and we've had coaches on before who coached other coaches. I think this is the first time we've had somebody on who coaches wellness professionals. So we're kind of mm-hmm. breaking new ground here. But yeah. Re- Rebecca, welcome to the program. How you doing?
2: I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: We're glad to have you. Happy New Year to you too. Thanks,
2: and, uh, you. tell us how you got
0: involved in the uh, coaching wellness professionals. It's got, I mean, there's always a story behind these, but that one just like screams, there's a story going on.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. There's always a story and there's many stories within the story, but the, the pivotal moment for me is really the way I've come to my business has always been from day one from a desire to self heal always from a desire to grow myself, to learn how to overcome the blocks that were holding me back and causing a lot of suffering. And every step of the way, I would learn something and see the world in a different way, and then see others that were struggling in the same way that I was without any direction of where to go and felt led to help them. And it really wasn't until I had worked with a mentor in, I don't remember the years, Many years ago, we'll say, (laughs) I was working with a mentor for a while and he was helping me. I'm a yoga teacher as well. And he is a phenomenal yoga teacher and guided me for a year, taught me how to bring out my voice and refine my teaching skills and helped me plan an idea for an online business. Mm. But I had not executed it yet. And I kept hitting a wall and hitting a wall and hitting a wall. And it was finally on our last day of our mentorship when he graded me on a a class and he gave me feedback on this class and told me that he said, Rebecca, you have everything you need. All you need to do is to get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. And those words to me sunk so deeply because I knew he was right. I knew that the only thing that was holding me back in that moment was myself. It was my, my inner critic, my own limiting stories, my own way of not having my own back of throwing, not believing the compliments that he would give me or the guidance he would give me. And I kept sabotaging myself. So I realized, okay, I've spent all this time learning how to build a business and learning how to teach and learning and teaching, but not. Launching my business now. I'm going to learn everything I can about getting out of my own way because I don't know how to do that. Good. And for so when you. I thank wow. you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I'm a very tactical. Like I, I love both spiritual and tactical. <laughs> and and so, I, as soon as I would learn how to do these things, I love breaking them down into simple, step by step, actionable concepts. Like breaking down things like. Self compassion, like getting out of your own way, like figuring out how to get out of a negative thought loop so that you can take action in your business and help others and receive the things that you're after. So that's kind of what led me here. As soon as I learned how to do that and created my own methods from lots of trial and error and learning from so many people, I just felt this desire to, to help others in the same way that I was helped for myself, I guess, but from Lots of people from the world, from the universe, all the things. But yeah, that's, that's what led me here.
0: That's really fabulous. I mean, Jody Lynn is, you and I have absolutely no experience with getting in our own way. So I mean, this is kind of new for us, right?
1: <laughs> Never done that before. I don't know what you talked about. <laughs> oh, wait. That was like five minutes ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. Of course. I forgot.
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah, that's such a, a common thing. It, the, the uncommon part is recognizing it. I mean we are we're like world champions, every single one of us at getting in our way, you know criticizing ourselves, tearing ourselves down, um doing it uh in private in public, everywhere that we could possibly do it. The rare part is recognizing that we're doing it, yeah. <laughs> most of us <laughs> won't recognize it. It's like the first step is recognize and you recognize it in the big way with the help of your mentor that's that's huge
2: thank you well it's it's interesting because I've come to find like my specific niche is. Wellness professionals, because I find that I'm, there's a lot of people like me who went through, kind of found the wellness industry for themselves first for their own healing and then had a desire to share those tools with others and then still ran into some of these inner blocks and realizing that, wait a second, I keep, I'm frozen and I don't know why. I have, I know exactly what I need to do to launch this online course or to teach a ret- retreat or whatever it may be, but I keep finding myself just paralyzed and I don't know why. So that's when I started recognizing that, wait a second, maybe I'm not the only one who is aware, like we we become self-aware being in the wellness industry, doing our wellness practices, whatever it may be, meditation, energy work, all the things. So we become self-aware, so we're aware of these patterns, but we're not—we don't know how to break out of them.
0: That's always the challenge. That's—we talk a lot about that here on the program. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jody Lynn comes up with about fifteen solutions every episode, and you know, there's all these (laughs) uh, ideas out there. But seriously, this is like a major topic. It shows up over and over and over again.
1: Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are struggling with this concept itself. Is you know, how do I get out of my own way? So, Mm -hmm. Rebecca, I would love to hear like how. How
2: do you Uh get out of your (laughs) own (laughs) way? Well, like you said, awareness is a important piece of it. But the, the first step that I always talk about is something that's very simple in theory. (laughs) And then we practice it and it's, it's stepping into curiosity because one of the, the things that keep us stuck in our own way, keep us cycling and often can perpetuate a negative thought spiral that's just sending us down a place that might not actually be true, but our brain is telling us that this is true, uh, is the self-judgment cycle, the criticism, the inner critic saying, oh, I, who am I to do that? I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough, knowledgeable enough, don't have enough degrees, not enough experience, whatever the story is. So curiosity, we cannot be judgmental and curious at the same time. And so it's kind of like It's it's always counterintuitive when it comes to self-transformation. Oftentimes the thing that it takes to let us move forward and transform is to stop trying to fix ourselves. So stepping into curiosity allows those patterns to be there. But then we get to see that maybe we are not those patterns and maybe there's truth underneath them. I love the quote by Pema Chodron that it kind of encompasses everything that I teach is uh, it goes, quote, your true nature is like a precious jewel. Although it may be temporarily buried in the mud, it remains completely brilliant and unaffected. And so to me, the patterns of getting in your own way and self-doubt and the stories that are saying we don't have enough or aren't enough in order to get what we want and do what we want, it's all just the mud covering up the truth and the work that I teach and that I practice myself is questioning those stories and getting to the truth. And when you connect with the truth, that's when you can feel the sense of expansion and uh, can step into courage and move forward and get unfrozen.
0: And stop throwing mud. I mean, seriously. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> For sure.
0: Because that's how the mud ended up in the first place. It didn't just appear out of nowhere,
2: right? <laughs> it accumulated over a accumulated long time. Dead. Yeah, yeah.
0: Had to come from somewhere. Gee, let's do this little math experiment. How did how did this work out? Oh, yeah, that was me. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, this is this is a big deal. I mean, I, I I continue to be amazed and astonished at how often I find myself throwing mud on my own stuff without realizing mm-hmm. I'm throwing mud on it. And then I look, oh, God, I did that? Really? I thought I cleaned that up. <laughs> Didn't I clean that last week?
1: Right, right. <laughs> We're like animals where we just kick the dirt from one side to the other, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is astonishing, too, is that sometimes for myself, at least in the clients that I've worked with, we'll notice something or be aware of something, but we want to hold on to the mud. Mm. Yeah. We just can't let it go. You know, yeah. like, who am I without this
2: mud? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the piece. Curiosity is step one. But then uh real, there's several steps, of course, always, but without breaking it all down. To make it simple, it's like getting curious of the patterns, questioning the patterns, and discovering the truth of who you really are. Because you need to have both. Because like you said, we, we're anchored to the mud And we can't let it go because then we won't be anchored to anything. We're not connected to anything. We'll just be floating. And that is too dangerous. So we need to simultaneously discover the truth at the same time. And as you do, then you have something to anchor into. And when you do anchor into that, it can feel so much more compelling and so much more safe than the stories of the mud did before.
0: So if I can kind of stretch the imagination a little bit, I would interpret that as saying, well, I could think of it as mud or I could think of it as mud. Like mud can be cooling to the skin. Mud could have beneficial Mm. aspects to it. I can actually think about it as a good thing and stop beating myself up about the fact that there's mud on the floor.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because... I talk a lot about in my work that I teach people how to silence the inner critic and how to dissolve it and how to move, rise, rise above imposter syndrome. But really, the the work is befriending it, is embracing it, and discovering the gifts within it. So I love that analogy of seeing the mud as as a restorative and yeah. as a good thing. That's that's great. I'm going mean, to use if that. You put mud on their skin
0: or moisturize the skin. I mean, how bad can that be, right?
1: Right.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
1: yeah. all that i can think of right now is that uh that new movie uh vacation they redid vacation in the family do you have either of you seen this movie no no oh gosh i'm gonna ruin it for you anyway they go on vacation Spoilers, spoiler just just yeah. wait, no, throwing yeah. out there for people who haven't seen it yet rusty <laughs> takes his family on vacation and they're oh. like "Ooh, this beautiful like mud place and it was like a toxic waste pool but they didn't realize oh, sure. it until after <laughs> <laughs>
0: well actually that's appropriate too because sometimes we do create toxic waste pools for ourselves maybe it's more than just mud i mean we are known mm-hmm. to create some pretty toxic situations in our lives so that actually could be appropriate it does Absolutely. raise an interesting question though. How, how do you handle that? I mean, how do you appreciate the toxicity?
2: Mm, yeah. Well, I, I think early on the first trying to appreciate the toxicity feels so wrong mm. <laughs> that it's kind of like the appreciation comes later on in my experience. Anyway, that maybe, uh, learning to, uh, discern what is toxicity and what is truth because we often when we feel that mud is toxicity we, we believe that that's who we are we believe that these stories are true that i am not strong enough for that and that's truth so by getting curious about it and questioning it and discovering that wait a second i might be capable of more than i'm giving myself credit for which is hint always the truth but then over time after you've kind of moved through it then you can look back and appreciate that, wait a second, that was there for me, that that helped me in some way, that I actually can see that that taught me things, that guided me places, that brought me teachers. Like at the very least, I always say that some of the hardest times can bring us teachers, can bring bring us guides, can bring us support that we might not have had had we not had those challenges. Mm-hmm.
0: One of my favorite things about doing this show, and I've said this many, many times, is how interviewing so many different people, I get so many different perspectives on life. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's my way of bringing in the topic of perspective and asking, how does perspective play a role in what you're talking about?
2: Mm, oh, it's absolute. It's the very thing that we're talking about. In in my mind, I see it as as if we're looking through a lens, and the mud is covering that lens, distorting what we're seeing, distorting our view of ourselves, distorting our view of what, what we're, what is possible for our lives, distorting our view of others, distorting our view of the world. And as we do this like inner work while taking action in a, in a way to grow your business and your wellness business yourself, it's like you have a chance to clear off some of that mud. And then all of a sudden you see yourself clearly you see your potential clearly. You see the world more clearly in that that one little bit, and that experience is so rewarding and um and motivating to keep doing it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jody Lynn, where, where are you seeing the ties to what you've experienced working with your own clients?
1: Oh, oh, so many. I I agree with Rebecca with exactly what you were saying. It's all about that perspective. I think we could tie that right back to what we were just talking about, like seeing what. You know, what is the toxic versus the, the good mud or, or whatever I think you can find either or in every single scenario. It's about the perspective that you're allowing yourself or choosing to see. And mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe, and this is something that I, you know, infuse into my practice is that there's always light in the dark. There has to be. That's the world that we live in. So when there is dark, there must be light somewhere. And you're not always ready to see it um, or witness it or experience it or acknowledge it or any of those things in that moment. But eventually, you'll have that ability to take a step back and see it. And actually, it popped into my brain this story that I heard over Christmas. My cousin was telling me. He came on the horse rides with us, so we got lots of time to chat. And he was telling me, well, this famous guy, you're going to know who it is in a second, <laughs> but... Uh this famous man or whatever he was he was an author, and uh he's like in the wild wild west traveling across the United States, whatever uh, old horse and wagon and uh they him and his geologist friend found a gold seam. And they knew exactly where it was. And back in that day, you could claim that gold seam if you just put in a claim and then you did something to improve the land within a certain amount of time. So he thought it was 30 days, but I'm not really sure how long it actually is. So this might not be exactly representative of what happened. Um, but turns out they they put in this, you know, this claim. And geologist man, he's got to go somewhere else for a few days. And this other man, he's like, yeah, okay, I'll put in the claim. They do the claim, you know, whatever. Right. And then this man, he gets a, you know, not a call, a letter from back home saying, you know, your cousin's sick, you got to come home, whatever. And he thinks to himself, okay, well, it's fine. I'm just going to leave. And then, uh you know, geologist man will come back and he'll work the claim and all will be good and we'll be millionaires, we'll be filthy rich. And so he leaves and then he comes back and it's like the 31st day. And geologist man also comes back and there's somebody else working their claim. And they both look at each other like, wait, you weren't here? No, you weren't here. What? And he was obviously devastated. And from that perspective, you know, there was this huge loss and like, that's awful. He was going to be a millionaire. No, he's not a millionaire. Like, what an idiot. Like, this is crazy. It feels so dark. It feels so awful. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that the man is Mark Twain. And if he would have, one perspective is if he would have been that rich, would he have written some of the greatest works of mm-hmm. our lifetime? Probably Probably not. not. Hmm. And when he died, um, I think there was some, some debt issue and stuff like that, but I looked, I looked it up. His net worth was $15 million. Mm -hmm. So he actually made more. Yeah. And what he would have with this gold claim. So it's going into the perspective that we see inside of that moment and having that courage to step back and see that it's always working out for our greatest good and for the collective. Mm. We needed those works of art to come to life. Like, can you imagine a world without a Huckleberry Finn? Mm. No. I can't. <laughs> you know, no that's crazy to think that we might not have had that. If you know, if he had gotten that gold seam or whatever, it was happening exactly the way that it was supposed to for mm. his greater good and the collectives.
0: I love that story. I did not know that story about Mark Twain, and and I probably should because I live within ten minutes of the Mark Twain House in Hartford, Connecticut. Really? I mean, I know exactly where it is. Right next to where Harriet Beecher lived. She lived next door. I mean, I know exactly where it is. I didn't know that story. I'd never heard that. Yeah.
1: One.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. It shook me when I heard it. It was like another like smack over the head saying like everything is happening for a reason and for your betterment. It's always mm. for the better.
0: Mm. I can just imagine how Twain would have how Samuel Clements would have felt about that situation because of what you said, because he was very, very dedicated to doing whatever he could do. To make money from his writing, because mm-hmm. he, he always felt like he was behind the eight ball. Even when he bought his house in in Hartford, he had, he was very successful at that point. But even from that point on, he had lots of financial problems throughout his life. Mainly, and this is something I'm totally familiar with because I did the same thing. Mainly because he kept believing that there was never going to be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, it was a mindset of scarcity that was involved there. So yeah, mm-hmm. if if he had if that seam had worked out, if that gold seam had worked out. I can see him just kind of abandoning all of that stuff. We would have lost a treasure trove of writing that was, I mean, he's he's probably the greatest American satirist of all time.
2: Exactly. Hmm. That's such an incredible story. It's, it's so, I love to think about how, um how we can apply that to ourselves. Like I, I think about, for me, something that inspires me a lot of the time when I, when I have felt the, the feeling frozen and not wanting to put myself out there or share my voice or do the thing that I feel called to do, then I think to the people who have changed my life and impacted my life, the, the writers, like the authors, the, the speakers, the people who have deeply changed my life, what if they didn't have the courage to step forward and share their voice? Mm. What, what would my life be like if they didn't do that, if they held back? So it's kind of like a a similar experience. Like what could we be leaving the world without if we hold ourselves back from the things that we feel compelled to share the art that's within us, the creation that's within us, the voice that's within us,
0: which is not easy to see by the way. when, when, When you're in the midst of that storm, that's the last thing you can see. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: That's that's more of a, a looking back thing. You know, you can always look back and connect the dots and see the right. the immense gifts from the challenges if you're curious to look and appreciate that. But it, it does bring me peace. I think in the practice of doing that when looking back gives me faith that one day I'll look back, you know, five years from now at this challenge and know that it's brought me somewhere and it, it allows you to step into a bit of faith.
0: Wow. Really cool. Very very cool. And you you have a podcast, don't you? A podcast and, and an app by the same name that just is is it out yet? Is it in the process? Where, where what's the 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 status of this?
2: Yeah yeah, I have an app, a podcast called Inner Critic Freedom, and that's been around for I guess three years now, and that's available where all the podcast things are available, <laughs> and um and then the app is currently available for iPhones. Google takes a little bit longer, so we're working on on the Androids, but that should be out in maybe a couple weeks. So yeah, that will be available in your app store. And it's called Inner Critic Freedom as well. And inside of it will be meditations, journaling, and some of my courses. But the main content will be guided meditation specifically to support your growth, support your wellness, all the things
0: Okay, now you're the right person to ask this question. This is something I've learned about for quite some time because you you have an app. Now, apps are usually used on phones, sometimes on tablets, but usually on phones, often with small screens, certainly with very, very small keyboards because there are these little virtual keyboards that we're basically touching with our fingertips. Mm -hmm. So the question I have to ask is, I mean, your journaling system, how do Mm -hmm. they type it?
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, for me, I do teach my students. I encourage them to eventually get to a place where they're writing on paper. I find it... More powerful. So the app that I have doesn't have journaling. I suppose there is a section where you can journal in it. So some people do feel compelled, you know, I I always say start with what you're willing to do. If writing on paper isn't going to do it, if you're just not going to do it, then type on a laptop, type in your phone, whatever you would like. But I do teach on paper. So.
0: Okay. Okay. The
2: app will have journaling prompts to then bring to your paper journal.
0: Well, it's a good excuse to get mm-hmm. offline or, you know, to get off of being online, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because we spend yeah. a lot of time online, you know, we need an excuse sometimes to get off.
2: For sure. Well, and one of the th- reasons that brought me to do the app in the first place was I, I have had a meditation membership for, I guess, three years as well. And that's, it hasn't been on an app. It's just been on my website, on the platform for that specifically, but one of the things that I wanted to provide was something that was easy to quickly open up a meditation and listen to if you don't have service. And mm. I live in a corner of Connecticut that has no service, so. Uh, well, you're in
0: Connecticut too? I didn't realize. I that. am.
2: Yeah.
0: What part of the I'm state in, are you in?
2: I'm in the northwest corner, so I'm in oh, uh, okay. Cornwall, Wichita County. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very cool.
2: Yeah. So I don't have service very often. Only when I'm in Wi-Fi. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh having resources available to listen to offline is something that I really wanted to provide in the app yeah. to make it easy.
0: I don't often get mm. to talk to somebody in Connecticut here on the show. That's pretty great. I like that. I know.
2: <laughs> I know. When I heard you say that, I was like, wait a second. I didn't realize that either. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Mark Twain house on a field trip as a kid.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think it's pretty much required uh, I think so. for anybody who's in school in Connecticut. yeah. Yep.
2: Some
0: <laughs> <laughs> point or other. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Jody Lynn, what, what, what do you have to ask um, Rebecca about? I, I need to step away my cat's saying, I want to go outside, so I have to go let him outside. So why don't you ask a question or two, and I'll be right back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had a question all, all queued up, and then we kind of went in a different direction. So I'll try and jog my memory. I think it was... um we were talking about perspective and we were talking about seeing um, seeing the light within the dark. And so, oh, um, a lot of times it's hard to start seeing yourself in a different light. And you've mentioned the word over and over and over again, which I really love about practice. Mm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, you know, what you think about the practice of this, practicing it in real life. I'd love to have a conversation about all of that.
2: Yeah. Like the practice itself to bring awareness. Yeah. 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 Well, I use the practice, I use the word practice so much because I used to be a perfectionist and perfectionism for me meant I really didn't have the space to practice. I needed to just do it The best I could possibly do the first time and the only time. And I actually went to culinary school or I went to pastry school out of high school. So I was in the food industry and I was in an industry that, uh, encouraged perfectionism, if not demanded perfectionism. You were very much rewarded for perfectionism. And I, it served me in a lot of ways that I learned how to work really hard. I learned how to create Beautiful pastries, but inside it destroyed me. It was, I created so much disconnection and suffering inside. And I believe that that was, you know, part of my journey that led me to where I am now. But there was no practice. I had no space to try something just for fun, even with baking. I loved baking, but I did not know how to just try something just for the joy of it. I needed to try things that I only knew that I could do perfectly. And When I started releasing and unraveling perfectionism and discovering the other way, practice was the way I could consciously wrap my head around doing something because I could imagine, oh, wait a second. I know how you practice an instrument. You need to play. You need to make mistakes. You need to repeat those mistakes. You need to keep just going after it and doing it. So practice to me felt like a safe way of going after things without being afraid of failing or doing it not perfectly or all of that. So now I use that all the time because I think it's something that we can all relate to, we all can understand what practice means, whether it's from a background of music or art or cooking, I suppose, but it's something that I, I really love to encourage. So I like to equate everything I teach to a practice that it's not supposed to be perfect now. And instead it's supposed to just be about showing up and discovering the joy of showing up for that and practicing it. And over time, then the results become inevitable. If you keep showing up with joy, just focusing on that, the results become inevitable. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) I think it expanded even further than where I was thinking of going with that question because what you've said is is really like an example of life. I think we all get really stuck you know, with societal pressures and pressures from our parents and, you know, those that are around us of like, you must do this right. And that's a part of the, I don't even want to try because I'm going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I love how you switch that to your look like, for yourself to thinking of it as a practice. I'm just practicing, showing up, practicing, enjoying it. Just, it really starts to shift from this is what I have to do to be successful or this is what I have to do to make money or I have to do to, you know, whatever it is, be a coach to, I get to practice and find the joys in the things that I'm doing. I think that's beautiful.
2: Mm, exactly.
0: I'm curious to you know about uh, the fact that you're here particularly reaching out to help wellness professionals. I mean, we, mm. we really haven't touched on that part of it. How, how did that come about? Why wellness professionals?
2: Well, I've found I tend, it didn't start out that way. You know, everything is an evolution, but I realized that I attracted wellness professionals that maybe it's because I mentor yoga teachers. I'm around wellness professionals a lot. I was a massage therapist as well before this. So I think I might, I might've attracted it, but then I came to realize that it was always supposed to be. And it makes sense because the wellness professional, Experiences a lot of the struggles that, that I did, that coming into wanting to self-heal, having an idea to help others, feeling this desire to expand our own lives and, and create abundance in our own lives, create freedom in our own lives, be, have the freedom to continue doing our own wellness practices and help others. And so I just kept finding that the people that I worked with that fit, that, that I could help, happened to be wellness professionals, so then I just started actually saying that <laughs> and calling it out and speaking to them more. I still work with other people, but those those are the ones that I work the most with.
0: Can you talk about, um, I mean, obviously you have to keep individual situations confidential, but in general, can you talk about some of the things that you find wellness professionals are encountering that that become a, a regularly occurring pattern?
2: Mm yeah well i think it's that pattern of being being frozen that we have this desire to help others we have we feel called to share our voices in some way like teaching a workshop or you know i work with a lot of yoga teachers so yoga teachers will go through um go through teacher training be teaching a lot of yoga classes, be comfortable in that environment, but then they have this idea that, wait a second, I would love to travel around the world and teach workshops in different countries. I'd love to host retreats. I'd love to have an online program, but I'm, I'm not strong enough for that. I don't have experience enough for that. There, there comes this story of not enoughness, as I call it, that we all as human beings experience, but I find that with, With wellness professionals that I've worked with, they then will get stuck in that place where they're frozen and they're not sure why. And they have these ideas and they might go out and learn, okay, how do you teach a workshop? How do you teach a retreat? How do you do an online course? So then they learn all the steps. They become very comfortable with learning. They become very comfortable teaching the things that they teach, but then they're frozen in that execution of the next step, of the up level, of the doing the thing that they would love to do that might slightly terrify them as well, but they're feeling called to do. So that frozen, getting stuck in their own way, being uh, stuck in a spiral of self-doubt and imposter syndrome, that's kind of the the area that's my jam that I help with a lot and that I find with many wellness professionals that I've encountered.
0: Yeah, that imposter keeps popping up everywhere.
2: Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) I mean, seriously, (laughs) he pops up, he or she pops up in every single life as far as I can tell.
2: Oh yeah. Right. This isn't limited to wellness professionals, but it's something that I do, that that I see among them for sure.
0: Yeah. It's interesting too, because we often think of People who are wellness professionals—they're usually decreed, decreed, degreed, They have degrees; <laughs> they've been decreed to have degrees, <laughs> and and uh, they're credentialed, and and you know, they they have these high levels of status. So, I don't think we usually think of them as people who get stuck because, well, mm. look how much they've accomplished, right? How they couldn't possibly get stuck mm-hmm. on things like
2: that. Mm, yeah. Well, and that brings brings me to comparison, which I think we we all tend to do but also that is kind of the nature of that imposter syndrome that they're thinking the same thing that mm-hmm. I, I work with so many people who have tons of credentials and mm-hmm. they're still looking at others who have more and say i don't have enough to do mm-hmm. the thing so i need to go out and get more degrees you go out and get more certifications then I'll, i might be an expert enough to go and say the thing that i want to say or teach the thing that i want to teach
0: which raises the question how many mm-hmm. credentials do you need before you can say it
2: Exactly. (laughs) Which in my opinion is (laughs) not like you get to, if it's in your heart to share, then you get to share it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. Of course, there are lots of different ways we end up getting to that point. I mean, Mm I started this podcast a little over a year, 11 years ago, not because I was credentialed, but because I wasn't, because I didn't understand how law of attraction worked. I didn't, and I was having real big problems in my life. And I figured, well, I'll just bring on experts. They can teach me. So that's how I got my voice by saying, I don't know this. Please explain this to me. Mm. <laughs> but the point is that, you know, that's, that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to find ways of breaking through that reluctance, that whoops, that reluctance that we all have that's basically says, I don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. I don't want to screw up. I don't want to do it wrong. I want I want to be perfect. I want to I want to I want to have the perfect life. I have no idea what we're asking for when we ask for that, but nevertheless, that's what we ask for. That's what we're <laughs> hoping for.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which for me, I my two core feelings that I rely on and teach are curiosity and courage because courage to me, much like practice, it taught me how to take action and not feel the way that I thought I should feel. So I can do something and be terrified. I can do something and be nervous. I can do something and feel totally uncomfortable if I step into courage. And that's a huge piece of things that I teach. And that's a huge piece of my own story of learning to become more and more courageous and just do it anyway. Even if it feels awful, even if it's scary, even if I'm cringing the whole time, just do it anyway and create momentum that way.
1: What are some of the things? Oh, go ahead. um, Sorry, Walt. What are some of the, like, I don't know if you have affirmations or like things that you say to yourself to actually be able to take that leap in courage. Let's just do it anyway or whatever. Do you have any like self-talk that you use to help you? Like, okay, I'm going to do it.
2: Mm. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I always tell myself is that I am more capable of than I am more capable than I currently know. And that's something I've come to discover in growing my business. I'm also a trail runner and that has taught me a huge, like learning to push my body in different ways has learned, has taught me to Realize that we are all capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. So when it comes time to stepping into courage, for me, I don't necessarily use an affirmation personally. If that works for someone, of course, absolutely use it. For me, it's more about stepping into a feeling of courage. Like I shift into almost the energy of courage. I think about like as soon as I tell myself, okay, step into courage and let's do this. And I guess the self-talk would be, it's okay if this feels nervous. Because before courage, I would be like, oh no, I can't do this because I'm nervous. Or no, I can't do this, I'm too afraid. Or what if what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if this doesn't work? The what ifs, the negative what if spiral. So then by telling myself I'm going to shift into courage, it kind of gives me permission to feel exactly how I'm feeling and do it anyway. So for me, it's a very more of an energetic feeling that I put myself into, and also talking myself through, letting myself feel. Because I think that's a huge thing that stops us is that we we think we should feel different than we do. So then we get frozen.
0: It's a good point. It's a really good point. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, this is something that at any coaches, I mean, Jody Lynn, you deal with that all the time. I'm sure when you're working with your clients and any coach who has clients they're working with, they're going to encounter that and they're going to deal with it. Let's let, let's talk about some of the ideas about how you do it though. Cause basically mm. what we're talking about here is how do you let go? How do you, how do you uh, let things develop? How do you let yourself be imperfect? How do you, how do you get through all this stuff? How do you allow? So why don't you just share, if you can share some of the ideas about how, how to go about doing that, how you make that happen. Jody Lynn, jump in. Cause I mean, you, you have a bunch of them too. Let, let's just kind of brainstorm on them.
2: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the how. For me, journaling is a huge aspect of, of what I do and what I teach. Journaling, writing or speaking. I also have some clients that just talk out loud instead of writing it down, but talking or writing allows us to access the subconscious mind so we can truly make some shifts and make some changes in how we feel and be able to move forward. So in all of those things that you just named, is getting out of the stories of our head. Because if we just stay in the thinking mind, not much really changes. And we feel very connected and very immersed in our own thoughts and very powerless to our thoughts and feelings. So instead, shifting into uh, the into writing, getting curious about what these thoughts are, I like to do a thought release where you just put pen to paper and write down all the thoughts. Get all the clutter from your head out onto a page. And then start questioning it, and start looking for the other alternative. And was there one specific that we wanted to to go down? Because like I can give a different uh, direction to one of you named several different things there.
0: I have made it as open ended as I possibly could to give you the allowance. You can go in any direction you want want to go with it. So go with it.
2: Oh. <laughs> All right, awesome. So well, with when we get stuck, and since I've been talking about, uh, the inner critic and imposter syndrome quite a bit, to me, the antidote to judgment is curiosity, and the antidote to the inner critic is self-compassion. And self-compassion, we get to, I teach to get to through journaling, through getting to a place of understanding. I always love to think about uh, the analogy of road rage that if someone pulls out in front of you when you're driving, you're pissed. That makes sense. They interfered with your day. And this car is just a car. There's no humanity to this. We don't know. That's not a face. It's not a story. It's just somebody who wronged you. So of course we're, we're upset. If you then were to discover that this was a person, maybe you knew that was, it was a life or death situation. Now there's understanding and there might be a choice. availability for compassion. And then we're no longer in anger anymore. You might still choose to be in anger. You can, but that's totally your choice. So the same thing is true for ourselves and our stories with these patterns that hold us back. If we're not taking action on our business and we're so frustrated, of course, we're frustrated. That makes sense. This pattern, this not taking action is holding us back from the life that we want. That makes so much sense. But if we then get curious about it through journaling writing it down questioning it asking why why what is what's underneath that digging a little deeper then we might get some understanding kind of coming full circle back to what we were talking about earlier then we might come to a place of understanding and befriending that story and then it loses its power and then we're able to move forward and get to and tell a new story like the final piece is telling a new story like what story would serve you in moving forward what story would would inspire you in moving forward? What story can you tell yourself that will make you feel like you have your own back instead of turning your back against yourself? And to me, if we have our own backs, we can get through anything.
0: I won't say that was perfect because I don't want to go that direction, but boy, that was good.
2: Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't sure if that made sense, so I'm glad.
0: (laughs) I know the feeling. I do that a lot here on the show. Sometimes st- I, I start, you know, spewing words out, and then play it back later, and oh, wow, that actually made. S- in fact, it was intelligent. Oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Jody Lynn, you want to chime in with uh, any stuff that you do to help people to to make those breakthroughs, to let go, to get past yeah. the stuff that's getting them stuck in the first place?
1: Absolutely, I love everything that you said, Rebecca. Um, I. I encourage uh, my students to get really curious about what what is the story that's going on in their head and really dig deep into like asking the question of like, why do I think that? Um, and looking at all the words that we use, because I think we give words to things and we have this unrealized definition of what the word is like, you know, perfect is like absolute it's it's you, you never mess up you never have a bad day or an off day but it's it's a definition that lives within your head that you have solidified in your own mind that this is the only way that that word can be but oftentimes we don't look at we'll write out a sentence like i can't do that because of this this and this but you don't even know what those words really mean to you so asking that question I'm like what does that mean to me like what does consistent mean that's something you know in my financial business my coaches and mentors be like, got to be consistent. For me, that meant perfect. You could never have a day off. That was my definition of consistent. And so it was really hard to measure up to that, um, that standard that I was setting for myself. And, you know, that brings me to the kind of the second thing is, is the, the way that you, or the expectation that you're setting for yourself versus somebody else. It's okay for You know, I could look at Rebecca and be like, Rebecca can put herself out there and she can try and she can do a podcast. And, you know, maybe at the beginning, she doesn't have all of the fanciest equipment or whatever. But I'm just so proud of her because she's just doing it. But Jody Lynn, no, I can't do that. And we do that to ourselves where we set this unrealistic expectation for ourselves and we look at others and it's okay for them to do the practice of it or to, you know, like just jump in and try. But for us, we have to be so good at it or perfect at it. Um, and I think that I was to add to some little things that I was that came up when Rebecca was speaking um, about like just jumping in and doing it. Um, something that flashed in my mind and I didn't realize I did it until now actually, um, is I used to, I used to race horses and I used to teach this in my financial business when I would teach other agents how to speak and how to like do presentations and stuff like that. But it never really clicked, um, that, that was me like jumping into that courage, vibration, if you will. But when I used to race horses, you, you'd come in the way that you would tee up for the race is you'd come in and you'd like parade in front of the grandstand, essentially. And then you would, you would come back, you'd go to the first corner and then you would do a circle and then you would come in and you'd actually line up for the barrels for the race. And for me, I would be like, uh like freaking out, like the power of two horses in front of you and two leather lines. And that's it. And like, you got to hang on. They go pretty fast. And my horses used to, what would they call barrels, So go around the barrels very hard. And I always had the lightest equipment and I am a small woman. So when I did it, you know, when I was 17, I was even smaller. And so I was very light. So it was very easy for me to get tossed around. So I had to be very strategic to stay inside of the chariot and go and compete. So I always did this. I'd get to the first corner. And before I made the turn, there was this like check, like go time. And as soon as I turned that corner, everything else melted away. It was like, this is the game and the game begins. And I, you know, I've had people who were, you know, 10 feet away from me while I was in a race, like screaming my name. And I never heard a thing. At all. Everything went dark. Like there was one place where I had like a big screen TV that had like our faces on it. And my mom's like, did you see your face? No, not at all. Like I didn't even notice that there was a TV that is like, I don't know how big it is, just giant. But I used to teach that method too when doing a presentation for financial agents. Like I used to teach that, that method for like, making a phone call I had a specific way of like these were the words that meant like game on and then I could get into the rhythm of the practice or whatever of what I was doing and that really helped me move through that but Rebecca you really spoke to what that is it's jumping into that frequency and embodying mm-hmm. it and like okay it's time to go
0: it almost <laughs> sounds, sounds like you were using NLP you were anchoring uh, certain expectations and in- to your practice and that's what you're you're trying to encourage your agents to do
1: yeah i didn't even know that's what i was doing Mm. i just came so naturally that's just the what i would do all right it's go time
0: that's how you know you're a good coach because you didn't have to even get trained on that you just knew it
1: Mm. i would say even more than that it's connecting to our inner guidance system Mm. which is the universe which is all one that that knowledge of the universe we have it all within us Mm -hmm.
0: the ultimate credential
1: (laughs) (laughs) great way to put it walt you know for all of us that are like i don't have enough credentials well you do have the history and entirety of knowledge of the entire universe yes
2: yeah that's kind of speaks to the the Pema children's quote of like your true nature is a precious jewel that is part of it like in what I teach is like tapping into that place being able to still the the noise or comb through the noise of the mind the chatter of the mind to align with the inner wisdom and the guidance system that's always available to you
0: so do you regularly tap into that guidance system when you're working with a wellness professional and are you trying to encourage them to do the same thing?
2: yeah well for me yes i very much tap in to that guidance system myself when i'm working with others and encourage them to do that too and i teach them how to do that um but yeah i'm always that's like that's a daily practice is getting to the inner guidance system that would i guess i hadn't thought of it that way but that is definitely what i do every every day for sure
0: no i'm really i'm really interested about this next bit because um anybody who is a wellness professional is dealing with science to one degree or another whether they're mainstream or alternative mainstream obviously is is more heavily science oriented than alternative is but there there's plenty of science in both of them and science uh people who are particularly mainstream science tend to resist stuff that's woo and going within is a, is a woo activity. That's about as woo as it's going to get. You're, you're basically taking cues from God knows what inside of you, you know, that's, that's about as unscientific as, as it can get for many people. So I'm wondering how do your clients, how do they receive that idea? How do they work with that?
2: Mm. I think I tend to attract people who are open to that for oh, okay. starters. I I don't, Necessarily, I haven't encountered many people who have been completely resistant to that idea, but I think by the time they come to me, they're ready to do whatever it takes to get through this. So if they're like, all right, whatever, if you want me to hop on, hop on one foot, if it'll work, I'm willing to try it. So I think that by the time they come to me, they're, they're so willing to give anything a try because they've tried so many things. But, and I also tend to attract people who have dabbled in that already. Yeah. Where maybe they have dabbled in meditation or maybe they meditate regularly or they've gone to an energy worker or something like that. So I would say I probably tend to work with people who are more uh exposed to the woo and not necessarily against it. But that being said, I have had a couple people who are like, no, 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 don't you give me that meditation crap like that is not what I want. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, that's fair enough. And they, they don't want any of those things, but we end up kind of, I teach them those, I teach them the concepts anyway. And so like for me I, and in my podcast as well, I'm teaching yoga philosophy, like most of the time, maybe all the time in my podcast, but I never name it. So you don't, you don't know it. <laughs> like you're not saying, Oh, we're learning this sutra today. I'm just teaching okay. about life and applying it to life. So I think I do the same thing. Or I know I do the same thing with all the people I work with, but for those who have been more resistant to that idea, it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Let's just talk about what you're dealing with and let's talk about real life and let's apply it. And you don't know that I just taught you a yoga sutra. You don't know that I just taught you a meditation technique, but called it something different, but you are still doing that, you know,
0: sneaking it in the back door, essentially.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But just making it applicable, making it like something. Oh, okay. I don't need because I I think something. One of the resistance to the woo tends to be I don't want to change who I am to become this like you know high whatever head in the clouds Zen person. Like I I like to swear. I like to you know listen to crazy music. I like to do the things that I like to do. I don't want to be that person. And I. So I think there might be some resistance to that. And so by just making it applicable to the individual, it makes you realize that, wait a second, you aren't becoming something different. You actually get to embrace who you are even more in doing these these things, be able to do the things that you want to do and receive them and enjoy them and move through your own personal challenges in the way that you want to, not doing it in a way that feels not so good to you, if that makes any sense.
0: Oh, it does. I, well, I take heart in, in the idea that obviously, like you said, people who are coming to you have already gone a mile or, or two in that direction. So, they, so they're more open to it. But I, I take heart in the idea that mainstream medical particularly are becoming more and more open. Yeah. And I, I, I think this, this is a pattern that does pay out, play out a lot. People, uh you know, they're, they're in the mainstream, they're, you know, they're making the good money, they've got the good practice or you know, whatever it is that they're doing. But things don't quite work out. The protocols aren't producing the results they're expecting, and like I, we got to do something better here. And and then they start exploring other alternatives, and all of a sudden, you know, they're meditating one of these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to me, that that's encouraging. To me, that's that's mm-hmm. a sign that a very clear sign, in fact, that the whole thing is evolving. It, 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 the the stuckness of the medical profession isn't so stuck anymore. It's it's coming unstuck. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, now there's even research from the medical community about what happened, the effects of the brain or the effects mm. on the brain from meditation. And like that was one of the first meditation books I had read was um into the magic shop, which is written oh, by yeah. a neuro- neuroscientist. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's a great, great book. And I recommend that a lot to people because that's a very easy to read and it gives you both the experiential side, but also like understanding the science behind it as well.
0: Yeah. Cool book too. Yeah. Great. So somebody, let's assume that there's a wellness professional tune in, or maybe just anybody who's intrigued by what you're talking about and they've got something they need to work on. They want to reach out. How do they find you?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you can find me if you're listening to a podcast now, you can find me on podcast platforms, inner critic freedom, but I'm on Instagram, Rebecca Doring meditation. Feel free to reach out there. And then I also have a, guided meditation since we're talking about meditation that's free you can go to on my website www.deeprootedbliss.com forward slash visualize and you can download a meditation there but um and contact me through my website
0: all right very good Beautiful. So, Jody Lynn, you got a lot to draw on today, right? I mean, cause I always ask you to, to pull the threads together and give us a summary. You have plenty of material to work with. Where, where are you going to go today?
1: <laughs> oh man. I feel like, Rebecca, you, you gave us some epic, epic, uh, quotes, um, that, that I really want to lean on. You talked about us being disconnected because we're trying to be perfect. So disconnecting from who we truly are, which it's so much bigger and more vivacious than the word perfect could ever encompass. And I loved that you talked today about some things that really hit me was what would you be leaving the world without if you don't bring your gift to life? And uh, the second one that I had written down, or fifth one, I don't know. There's a bunch on this page. <laughs> <laughs> if it if it's in your heart, it's yours to teach. Hmm. And in a world where we feel so compelled to get, you know, the book, the course, the certificate, the whatever, and we hold ourselves to these impossible standards and hold ourselves back, I think the the world, uh, myself and Walt included needed to hear that if it's in your heart, it's yours to teach. <laughs> well, you <know. laughs> okay, just me then. The world and me, not walls. We all need to hear that. And to, as you said, step into that frequency of courage mm-hmm. and simply begin to practice bringing it to life. So thank you for the beautiful message, Rebecca.
2: Mm, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful.
0: We loved having you and uh, listeners didn't know what I was doing. I was, I was uh, making a cross on screen like, no, 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 don't include me in that. <laughs> but of course that's nonsense. <laughs> Just trying to bring a little levity to the end of the program, but we really did enjoy having you on the program very much and appreciate mm-hmm. what you're doing. I really appreciate what you're doing with medical and other wellness professionals. Um, Thank
2: you. Thank you.
0: That to me is a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. I mean, anybody who's working with anybody else, you know, providing coaching assistance or education or writing books, that kind of thing, they're all providing good services. I particularly appreciate those who are trying to help the medical profession Mm. because there's a lot of need there and and you're filling an important gap. Mm. Thank you so much. This ties in actually to something i like to uh, finish each show with um, because I recognized a, a while ago that we have a tendency to skip over something in our, in our daily lives. I mean, we are all, all, all of us who come out of this program are givers in one way or another. We're constantly putting out content, this program, this content. We're putting out all kinds of stuff. People are putting out blog posts. They're writing stuff on social media. They're writing books. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're appearing on other people's podcasts and a lot of it they're doing for free. They're, they're doing it because they want to give back. They want to help other people out and they are helping. And that's the part that we kind of skip over. We, we ignore the fact that there are people who are benefiting from all this free stuff we're putting out for all this information that we're sharing and so forth. And we don't get credit for it. So on behalf of those people that you've never met, and you've never seen who are benefiting from the stuff that you're putting out there. Thank you for what you're doing, because you're making a difference in this life.
2: Hmm.
0: Thank you. That's probably the shortest response I've heard so
2: far, Jody Lynn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you could feel her heart opening and her just,
2: accepting right? and receiving it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm taking it in. I'm moved. So, like, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. I'm <laughs> taking it all in.
0: I love it. So thank you much. <laughs> thank you, Jody Lynn. Thank you, podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.